What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous, just positively amazing, sometimes astonishing, co-host Andy Bailey. Um, we're going to get into a bunch of playoff stuff today, have some just a couple news items that broke earlier this morning. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, you will be listening to it maybe on a Tuesday or perhaps on a Wednesday, but there'll be plenty of playoffs talk. We have postmortems and future breakdowns for the Bucks, Thunder, and Pacers to get to. Before we get started, I just want to remind, ask, beg, plead, implore, maybe bribe everybody to go rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know how we're doing. We really want to catch up to Stephen Curry's single-season record for 402 three-pointers made. We're not doing too well at the moment. We're at 108. So, come on. Only like 300 more to go until we break. break Still creeping. Mark. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're coming. We're coming, Steph. Um, <laughs> the other thing is we are – the podcast is – the word is not expanding, but I think – it's more a phrase of Andy and I are finally getting off our asses and making sure that it is being or distributed on more mediums. Just you. <laughs> well, uh, it's a team effort. Um, so we are already on Google Play, so you can find us there now. We are searchable. That is exciting. We should be up on iHeartRadio, Spotify soon. That stuff is pending. I believe you can already find us on SoundCloud. We're going to be all over the fucking place. We're already on Stitcher. Blog Talk Radio, of course, we're always going to be there. You can find us at NBA Math as well. We're going to be linking you as always, but for people who get um, their podcast through alternative mediums to the iTunes store, we have heard you, and we are finally, at long last, after doing absolutely nothing, trying to do something about it. And lastly, you can still use the 15% off promo code at the NBA Math shop, nbamath.com slash shop, promo code Benno. B-E-N-O, should be insanely easy to remember given how often we shout him out on this podcast. Now before we get started though, we have to get to two questions that everyone is dying to know. And the first of which is one, Andy, are you and the family healthy now? And two, why do you suck at liking Marvel movies? (laughs) One, yes, I think everybody's fine. Some sort of stomach thing swept through our house like a biblical plague um <laughs> it was rough the day that i got it i could i could like barely get out of bed it was um it was wild but but we're all fine now and <laughs> even after game one with the jazz and the rockets yeah that was uh that was trying but at least there were some like positive signs in the second half maybe i can i can look at it that way um me and me and marvel <laughs> it's just one of my things where I'm not in in line with the general population on pop culture. I just don't really get the fascination. I feel like I get much better stories from. I'm not going to say DC because a lot of those movies wow. are terrible. Wow. No, no, that's why I said I'm not <laughs> going to say it. A lot of them are awful. But Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy is incredible. Uh, Logan is incredible to me. That's the only superhero movie that I can like maybe put in the same class as the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that I genuinely like, some some other superhero movies. I loved Thor Ragnarok. Um, that's a Marvel one that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, With the exception of Ragnarok, it seems like maybe you're into the like darker superhero movies, in which case probably some of the more recent Marvel ones would appeal to you, like Black Panther or Civil War See, or I've, even Infinity War? I liked Civil War. That was one of the ones I listed that I liked. 
Um, you didn't like Winter Soldier, which I think is bat crap crazy. <laughs> That's I've gotten a lot of responses like that. And I've talked about Marvel movies on Twitter before, and everybody just loves Winter Soldier. Maybe I need to see it again. I feel uh, like I would have already resigned from the podcast if I knew this is how you felt about the MCU <laughs> universe. I have heard from a ton of people, too, that like Black Panther and Infinity War... I, we're actually going to see Infinity War today, so I can update you on how I felt about that. I never <laughs> awesome. saw the second Avengers. Well, oh, uh, I'm sorry. What? Yeah, no, you you should not be allowed to go see Infinity War then at this point. You haven't seen Black nah. Panther or the second Avengers? <laughs> I mean, I've seen, what, like half of them, if you look at that list? Yeah, it's that's too not late a, for me. That's... It's too late for me to try to catch no, up. No, you know, here's what's going to happen. We're going to come up with a spinoff podcast <laughs> where you watch every single Marvel movie in order, <laughs> and then we come back and, and we talk about them. I, and we I think that's going to get me a lot of hate tweets, man. That's fine. <laughs> That's that. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna set that up and in the works because I cannot live in a world in which you've only seen half of the MCU universe movies and are still gonna go see Infinity War anyway. Maybe if heart. we live podcast while I'm watching the movies, people will understand better my feelings towards them. That's a good I idea. Sort of narrate what's going on and and what's hurting my soul as I watch it. <laughs> All right, so I'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll brainstorm a podcast name and that'll be the spinoff podcast. We just live podcast through. All the Hardwood Knox Podcast Network. It's coming. Yeah, it's, it's soon. <laughs> we're up everywhere. Now we're coming to you with Marvel movie breakdowns <laughs> in real time. Yeah. Um, so with that out of the way, and please get Andy at, on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey and just yell at him <laughs> because it's terrible taste. That thing got ratioed pretty good. But, I didn't look at it. I just way. I quote tweeted it and called you shameful. <laughs> so I, I support you. Which was like a tame response. So thank you. Well, because I was dying inside, I didn't have time to type anything <laughs> else out. Um, <laughs> we so I guess we can get back to basketball since this is not the other podcast that has yet to be invented just yet. Yeah. Um, a couple quick news items: the another Kawhi Leonard update. Surprise, surprise. Uh, ESPN's Ramona Shelburne and Michael C. Wright published a piece on ESPN.com, super in depth. Gave us a lot of new information we didn't already have kind of underscored everything that's been wrong between Leonard and the Spurs organization. It seems that there's been a breakdown in communication, which now seems like it kind of shifted with the change in his representation. There seems to be some weird stuff going on with the agency he was represented by that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, it also, there were sources close to him quoted as saying that they feel as if Kwai is being alienated by the Spurs. There's just so much to unpack. Nothing really definitive about whether the Spurs would give him the five-year, $219 million Supermax extension that he's eligible for. The vibe I continue to get, though, is that they would at least try to convince ownership to give it to him, which I suppose could be a little bit difficult because Juliana Hahn Holt filed for divorce from her husband or former husband and the former controlling owner of the Spurs, Peter Holt, in February, maybe as they're going through those proceedings, you know that more than I am as a, as a lawyer, that they don't want to deal with that expenditure, particularly for a guy who's only played in nine games. I know you kind of scan the piece. You listen to the low post with Shelburne on it about the piece. Have your thoughts at all changed on this Kawhi Leonard situation and whether or not you have an inkling as to if he'll be with the Spurs next season? I think I'm going to default, uh, at least in terms of his future, to what I've said the last couple podcasts, that I honestly feel like it's more likely he's on a different team. Uh, th there's just so many variables that seem to point toward uh, these two breaking up, the, the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard. The thing that I thought was super interesting, and I don't, I don't know how much she talked about this in the piece, but they did talk about it on the low post, uh, she said that Leonard and Popovich have stayed in contact, like they've texted each other during this stuff. Did you find that weird too? I don't know because if I... there's if they're if they're texting each other, and she said that it was like the relationship is still fine. Some of his comments to the media are kind of curious to me, and I guess he's only taking shots at the group um, in those those quotes and. I, I think there have been a couple quotes where he was like basically saying 
he should be out here with the team. So maybe it isn't just the group. I, I just felt like that was sort of an interesting nugget that I did not expect. Yeah, that that kind of disarmed me too because it's like if you guys are talking, why are you? Why is there just this rift? There should just be more information, but just yeah. being shared between you two. When have those? How long have those lines of communication been open though? Was it just Kawhi might have reached out after Popovich's wife Erin passed away? You kind of hoped that that wasn't the case. It's just Pop has been known to care about his players, even though he's come off, particularly in years past, maybe not so much now as a hard ass, but it just makes it that much more confusing that they've been in contact and yet the relationship between Leonard and the Spurs remains so fractured. Yeah. I was really surprised when I, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me from that podcast. And, and you mentioned some of the stuff before we started recording about his agent, which is, you know, that's certainly interesting that he's kind of being pulled in different directions. And another another interesting point Shelburne made on the podcast was that they all want him to be this superstar and to be to be treated in the media and in endorsement deals like he like a top five player, which he is when he's healthy. And he's not really playing that game where you're you're on social media, you're sort of pumping yourself up as an individual brand and all that stuff. Um, so and it seems like San Antonio would be fine with him not playing that game uh, and, you know, just continue to be the quiet superstar that he was the first four or five years of his career. And it's like, it's like he's being pulled in different directions here is, is kind of the, the takeaway that I got. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you brought that up because um, his uncle, Dennis Robertson seems to be involved in a lot of this and his agent officially is Mitch, Mitch Frankel. Um, they turned down a four-year, $22 million offer from the Jordan brand for a new contract for Leonard. And the thought process there from Robertson, per Shelburne and Wright, was that he didn't feel the offer was worthy of a former Finals MVP. And then, yet, as you said, Leonard isn't out there pumping himself up to where he's on social media in any way. It's not, I mean, his sister seems to run his fan page on Instagram, but even someone that's kind of, I would say, more closely guarded than Russell Westbrook, like he's just out there, and it's like fashion is his thing. And mm-hmm. so he's, not that Kawhi Leonard isn't recognizable, but he is a brand unto himself, and I don't know that Kawhi Leonard's good enough on the basketball court to have that kind of cachet, but he doesn't have the personality off it, or at least hasn't tried to display it or tried to build it in any way that would make you think this is an approach that he and his bunny quotes group should be taking that just seems almost i'm not saying he couldn't get more money from a different brand or maybe jordan will come in and give him more money over the top but it's just i i don't know what the end game here is is for them at this point that that raw number would sound kind of ridiculous attached to any other top five to ten player though don't you think oh a hundred percent yeah so i don't i mean i understand their concerns i guess it's just <laughs> They probably need to do a better job of getting him to play the game, I guess, if that's if that's really their end goal, is for him to be compensated and to be treated the way that any other top five to ten star would be. Did you say five years twenty two million? Four years twenty two million. Yeah. That's that's really low. It seems uh, low, but like what they even said within the Shelburne and Wright piece that he's never been excited to have endorsements. The only one he's really enjoyed is Wingstop because he likes the food. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's funny um yeah i mean if th- that's another interesting thing about this is how much of this is Kawhi's desires and how much of it is the group so well, maybe there's three different sort of things pulling at him himself the spurs and the group right and i wouldn't doubt that because one of the other things that came about is the spurs seem to be worried that they're trying to push leonard to a bigger market like los angeles or New York or Philadelphia because Robertson, his uncle, lives in New Jersey. That just doesn't seem like a Leonard desire. It seems to me that he would be more happy playing somewhere low-key, like Utah yeah. or Memphis, than he before he would want to play in New York, Los Angeles. And maybe I'm wrong, because maybe every player just wants to play in Los Angeles. We know every player just wants to play in New York, but that franchise, <laughs> the Knicks, are a crap show. If he likes the Nets, though, they seem to be on the come-up. I, so I don't understand really any of that i still default to i think he will be there 
just because Popovich is going to continue coaching. To me, it seems like maybe the passing of his wife kind of changes things, but he's ticketed to coach the 2020 Olympics. He's basically told players like Aldridge and Leonard he would be coaching still so that they would feel better about re-signing with the Spurs. And we've seen him wage successful damage control with LaMarcus Aldridge last summer. Let's not forget that he was instrumental in ensuring Tim Duncan didn't leave for the Orlando Magic way back when as well. So I, I still, maybe it's just blind faith in him still. I personally, however, and maybe this is where it falls apart if the Spurs think along the same lines, wouldn't offer Leonard the $219 million Supermax this summer. I get if he was healthy and this whole situation hadn't happened, he's a top five player. You're a small market team. It doesn't really matter. You you pay him if you want to keep him. But he just appeared in nine games, is dealing with an injury that you haven't had a hold on, if only because you have him cleared, but his group doesn't have him cleared. And tendiopathy is this degenerative disease that's been described as. Why would you invest that much money in a player without knowing how he's going to recover from what should be considered a serious injury now because he's only played in nine games. Uh, And the other thing is, is if this breakdown in communication happens again, now you have all this money invested in a player who's not on the same page with you or maybe who doesn't want to play for you. Yes, you could turn around then and I I suppose trade him six months later, kind of like the Clippers did with Blake Griffin, but you need him to be playing well enough for, for that to happen. And this isn't to say Leonard won't be successful upon his return, but I would still feel like it should at least be a, a matter of question. I get the impulse. I don't think they should trade him now either because the leverage is just not there. He's going to be a free agent. Teams know that there's been a breakdown somewhere between him and the Spurs. I would let next season ride out almost. If he requalifies for the DPE, he requalifies. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Maybe that's, I think a lot of people would argue that you, you just can't do that, that it's basically like the rule where you can't have an NBA head coach on an expiring contract and almost feels like this is the approach it's become with superstars who are eligible for the DPE. You you can't, you can't have them and not give it to them. Yeah, I think, I think there would be reason for pause. Just, just like you're saying, it's easy to say, yeah, he's a top five player and you have to give it to him. I mean, you can't, it's very, very rare for an organization to either luck into or, you know, by way of their own great scouting, be able to find, you know, a top five player, especially if he comes in the middle of the lottery, like like Kawhi Leonard does. I mean, that's that's just a super rare uh, turn of events to get that player. So you want to lock him up long term. But <laughs> we were talking about this before we started recording. I... If I could get a rock-solid medical diagnosis that he's 100%, that the condition is under control, it's maybe it's not going to be degenerative until you know five or six years down the line. The problem with that is <laughs> that's sort of an issue with this whole story is whose who's medical opinion counts, um, who can we trust. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of issues with that in itself. The other thing is, too, how quickly did the Wizards go from, yeah, you have to give John Wall that that huge contract to, oh my gosh, this contract is going to destroy our books for <laughs> the foreseeable future. Let's say Kawhi Leonard isn't all the way healthy. Um, he's Maybe he plays like 50 to 60 games a season over the next few, or, or maybe he has another season like this one where he just misses a ton of time. And, and if he is healthy, he's 80% of what he was at his peak. Um, suddenly that much of your cap space tied up in that player is crippling. I mean, that can, that can put your organization in a bind for the length of the contract. So it is a huge, huge decision. Even if the salary cap creeps up over the next few years or during the life of that contract, he's still going to be, I mean, it's going to be around 40% of the team's cap. Um, so these these decisions are obviously very 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 important for this organization, and and I'm with you. I don't think it should be like 100. percent We have to give him the deal. And I think you have to take that big picture slant a little bit because it's going to be 
pay grade wise, essentially the same situation as John Wall. Kawhi Leonard entering his age 32 season would technically be the final year of that five year extension is going to be owed almost $50 million, be around $47 million or whatever it is. That's crazy. That's a lot of money. And if he's Kawhi Leonard, he's worth it. But at the same time, even if he, even if you want the next three years of Kawhi Leonard, do you want the next three years after that? It's, I'm, it's, it's a crapshoot. And I I understand this isn't to diminish what he's done, but I I guess I'm with you there. If you can kind of get the rock solid medical update on him or prognosis, but it seems like they've been unable to get that this far. What is suddenly going to change? Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm with you. It'd be very, very hard to get that, it seems like. That's it for this edition of the latest Kawhi Leonard update, <laughs> which we seem to have every single podcast. It's it's honestly incredible that this is happening because it's just it doesn't seem like the Spurs whatsoever. You know what's interesting though? And Simmons has talked Bill Simmons has talked about this a little bit recently. They're kind of quietly dramatic. Like they've had issues uh during the Popovich era. It's just they're really good at I don't know, sweeping them under the rug or making the media think that everything's fine. They had the Aldrich thing. Um, you mentioned the Tim Duncan thing. There was the Tony Parker, Brent Berry thing, which I think on any other team would have been uh, just major, major news. Uh, they, they Here and there, they have some weird little drama, but maybe they are just the best at uh, controlling the story. Well, they, they probably are because there was even in Shelburne and Wright's piece, there was, and I think this was on the low post as well, there was the anecdote about how uh, Ramona had Kawhi Leonard like alone for roughly – 15 yeah. to 20 seconds before Spurs PR. That was like, interesting. Yeah, just saw them and, and shut it down. So, And it sounds like that's a normal thing because Zach Lowe was like, he said something like, as soon as you start talking to Kawhi, you basically feel like a countdown going. So that that was interesting. And yeah, there's been pieces about how they're one of the, the their public relations department is one of the, maybe it's the hardest to deal with or one of the most stringent to deal with, kind of up there with, the Oklahoma City Thunder have always been like that. Remember how closely guarded they were with Kevin Durant? Yeah, uh, they're probably that way with Russell Westbrook, as as far as I know. So that that is an interesting element to it. It's just we've kind of and we talked about this on the previous pod, Grant Hughes and I. The Spurs seem to just have this Teflon reputation, and while they've had these issues in the past, if you've laid out, this seems to be the one that could threaten their entire way, or maybe it's the one that just shatters this illusion that we've all been living in and, and admiring for decades. Yeah. It'll be it's it's gonna be super, super interesting. And it's it's to gonna come to a head soon sure. because I I say soon because it's May first as we're recording this, but they have to make the decision on his extension before free agency starts and the books reset. And then if you're not gonna give it to him, you'd probably want to know before the draft, right? Because then when you move if you want to try trading him it opens up. You can obviously acquire draft picks from people when they're actual players, but maybe it just opens up some better trade packages because you can get a top pick in the draft and choose your own player. So this is a, something that seems like it will be resolved in some form over the next six weeks, or maybe it's a situation where maybe the Spurs decide, hey, we're either going to give him the DP or we won't, and if they don't, the situation then just drags on into the offseason as they're looking for a trade package or we all wonder whether Leonard's going to ask for a trade or, or what's just going to happen there. Can't wait. I love the offseason. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, the last news item I wanted to talk about is, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, the Knicks, after talking with Golden State Warriors assistant Mike Brown, have officially completed their round of interviews to replace Jeff Hornacek and are now, quote, huddling to reach a consensus on the hiring of a candidate. I feel like I should be terrified, but the Knicks' list of candidates is really hard to synthesize. They've interviewed, I I think the count is at 10, and you have now Mike Brown, David Fisdale, David Blatt, Mike Buttonholzer, you also have Mark Jackson, Juwan Howard, which I was just that caught me off guard when that was released. Spurs assistant James Borrego, Jerry Stackhouse, head coach of the Toronto Raptors G League affiliate, Celtics assistant Jay Laranga. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. Larenaga? Man, that's bad. 
Is it Laura Nega? I actually Laura, don't. I haven't seen that name. Laura Nega. That sounds right. I can't. Speech impediment, people. Uh, Clips assistant Mike Woodson and Kenny Smith, uh, currently the analyst with TNT. That's just a lot. Like, what do you make of, of that pool of candidates? Um, maybe they were looking for a little bit of, like, diversity in background. It, that's the only thing I can think of for Kenny Smith with no coaching experience. To go from sitting at a table talking to Chuck and Shaq for years to coaching an NBA team, that's an interesting path. Um, a lot of assistants. I, the James Borrego one, he, I just looked up his coaching record because I remembered he was a head coach, but it was only for like half of one season. So I should probably withhold judgment. He was 10-20 and 20 with the Magic in 2014-15. Um, that makes him perfect for the Knicks. <laughs> and he's been an assistant with the Spurs for the last three years. I, I feel like it's kind of a safe thing to go with a Spurs assistant, you would think. Um, I, I think Budenholzer, Blatt, and Fisdale. If you get one of those three, you'd probably be, uh, you'd probably be happy with the result, right? Yeah. I, Is I there think, anyone else that you named that you'd be like, okay, that's fine? I like the idea of Stackhouse just because of the work he's done. Yeah, it sounds like he's been good. With the Raptors I, I have yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched any of his stuff, but everything I've seen is like he's an up-and-comer, so that would be interesting. The interview he did with the Low Post, I believe it was earlier this year, that that was spectacular. And you just look at the way his team plays. A lot of people have criticized that they play too slow, but they shoot a good number of threes. And what really stood out to me is, is during one of those interviews, he really said that I would push the pace more, but you want to tailor your game to your personnel. And that's something that's encouraging to me. He also said that if he were a head coach, he would have hated his own game because of some of the shots he took, which is also why I think that uh, that <laughs> I would be I didn't see that. That's an awesome quote. Yeah, so he, he would be fine with me. Mike Bunholzer, it, it seems, would be would be good. Um, I don't really... I, David Blatt would be interesting just because I'd love to see his offense trying to be run independent of LeBron. I don't think he ever really got that fair shake to coach the team that he was supposed to coach or hired to coach in Cleveland and David Fisdale's kind of just in that that same boat he didn't really get the fairest of shakes in Memphis they cut bait with him entirely too soon and in my his first season in Memphis was uh very encouraging I would say right and uh, you know I, I think he's probably someone having only a year and change of head coaching experience that's someone you can look at and say Oh, you know, that, that's good. He can grow with the team. That's where Coach Bud gives me pause, though, because everything we've seen is basically that he didn't want to be part of the Hawks' rebuild. And while the Knicks don't appear to be going the Philadelphia 76ers route of renovating their entire franchise structure, if you want to win, I don't know that going to the Knicks is the place to do it. And you also don't want to bring in someone who, even if superficially, kind of accelerates your timeline by default. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of internal debate I'm sure they're having. I should clarify that Borrego was an interim coach that year with the Magic. So he was taking over a team that was already really bad. It's funny uh, how everyone has gravitated towards... I would have loved to have seen Becky Hammond get an interview and it does the Spurs assistant, and I don't think she has, and or at least not according to any public reports. And yet every single other coaching vacancy with the exception of the Grizzlies, and I probably I just want your quick reaction on them deciding to roll with Bickerstaff, but they've all every other team has basically flocked toward um Yudoka and Messina and the Knicks go. I know Borrego's had other interviews, but it's just funny that the consensus picks of the Spurs assistants, the Knicks are going with like number three yeah, on the totem pole seems. Uh on the totem pole it seems. And then I would have liked to have seen them interview um, Igor Kokoshkov with the Jazz. I butchered the f, f out of that name. Kokoshkov. You Kikoshkov. got it a couple episodes back. Kokoshkov. So there you go. That would have been an interesting name, but I just I don't know who they're gonna pick or what they're trying to. I, you know, I don't. <laughs> I the sample of people that they've interviewed, I don't think tips the hand one way or the other. I'm hoping that they didn't just stage this ostensibly extensive coaching search. So that it looked like they didn't pick Mark Jackson months ago when really they did. <laughs> that's your, that's like worst case scenario for you, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, him. Uh, I think we already talked about this. I, I'd definitely rather have Mike Brown after his experience with the Warriors. Uh, Mike Woodson, I'd probably just be indifferent to. Yeah, Mark Jackson. The Mike would be Woodson the worst one case is scenario. so weird to me. I mean, he, he had the. They had their 54 win season with him, right? That was the one year that they were good in the last, like, 10. Yeah. I, I'm remembering that right, right? Okay. So that's, I guess, I can see why they're doing that, but they've already been down that path. It's, it's, that's weird to me. Um, I think Kakashkov's going to be good whenever he gets a... He's interviewed with the Suns now twice, I believe. And he's... uh, Did you hear... I think it was Dragic who was on a a podcast, and I wish I could remember which one it was. This was a few months back now. But they talked a lot about Kakashkov. And those two have, like, uh, a little bit of a relationship. Um, It just sounds like players like him is, is the point I'm trying to make. So that, I think he'd be really interesting wherever he goes. Um, I hope for your sake they go with Kenny Smith just because I want to see what happens. <laughs> that would be uh, – he's just never been mentioned as a coaching candidate. It'd be really uh, – I know. It just came out of nowhere. Right. It would be really interesting. What did you think um, of the Grizzlies just rolling with Bickerstaff? Oh, yeah. That's what you asked me. I was trying to remember. That's interesting to me. <laughs> they were – I mean, they were trying to lose, obviously – down the stretch, but they were just horrific. And he was okay as the interim coach with Houston a couple years back, but he wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like super impressive what he did. They were 37 and 34 with him in Houston. And with James Harden on your team, you would think you'd, you'd be able to perform a little bit better than that. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> what does he bring to the table that, that is better than David Fisdale. I, For them to fire him and step here just seems like a really weird, uh, at best, lateral move. And I, it, in my personal opinion, it's it's worse than lateral. But I think that's the best way you could spin it. I just don't think they have a hold on what they're trying to do, whether they're going to move forward with the Gasol-Conley core, or whether they'll actually rebuild. And he seems a ni- to be a nice hedge against that indecision we don't know how much his contract is for maybe he was cheap enough to where they wouldn't mind pivoting should they decide he's not good enough to coach a team they want to contend for a playoffs or even if he's not the coach that they want to headline a rebuilding squad was one of my first reactions maybe it it was a safe pick in the sense that he's not going to rattle the cages within the organization Marcus Saul won't be extra pouty because you hired Bakerstaff. I, I honestly don't know. I said when the announcement was made on Twitter, good for him. He's been around forever yeah. as an assistant. And you brought up the Harden-Rockets thing. He had a coach that Dwight Harden-Jalopy that year, That's which just true. couldn't That's have been fun. Point. So, I, you know, good for him. I don't – maybe this is one of those things where maybe we could just TBD – but I agree with you, unless you really read into what Dylan Brooks was doing, what Kobe Simmons was doing, Jermichael Green kind of picked things up at different points in the year, unless you really just bought into that and thought he did a spectacular job behind the scenes and it just didn't translate to the court because you didn't have the talent, maybe that's where they were going. But it doesn't. it also doesn't appear that they held this extensive coaching search, which is what the Suns were destroyed for when they hired Earl Watson a few yeah, years ago. And now they've true. officially eliminated Jay Triano from consideration for their job, I believe. Coaching carousel is crazy right now, and it might yeah. not even be done. There are probably five to seven jobs that you could talk yourself into being in jeopardy once once the playoffs are over. Yeah, another interesting uh, thing to pay attention to this offseason. Memphis could be interesting if Gasol and Conley are fully healthy and they get Doncic. Yeah, it, that would be... Interesting to the point that they could, like... Toe two timelines. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but I was thinking like push eighth place, maybe. I don't think it's any more interesting than that. Is what I'm trying to say. That'd be fair. I'd be. I'm interested to see after where they land in the lottery. Or I'm interested to see how they draft. Donkic would be fun there. I wonder how much free reign they give he's him a, as a rookie. But he's a perfect fit. You think he's for, a perfect fit for all thirty NBA teams, though? <laughs> that's probably true. Um, can we get, now we get to move on to the playoff segment, can I just get your quick hit, belated, second round picks? Okay, um, I haven't done these anywhere until just now, so this is fresh. You're welcome, guys. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, that's a lie, actually. I did do Rockets Jazz for SLC Dunk, and I picked Houston in five. Um, I'm, I still feel fairly comfortable in that. I, during the first half of game one, I was like, well, well it's actually going to be Houston in four. But they showed me a little bit of something in the I think the Jazz steal game. I'm with you for Houston in five there. Yeah, probably game three, the first one in Utah. Um, I think Cleveland's going to beat Toronto. I'm sorry, Raptors fans. I just don't think they're going to get over that LeBron um, mountain that they've dealt with for all these years. And I would probably say Cleveland in six on that one. Also my pick, uh, Cleveland in six for that one too. Which really, I was, we should. Don't, don't you feel like an idiot kind of picking that? They just went to know, seven with it, the Pacers, who are a good team, but they're not as good awesome. as the Raptors. And and I saw a couple tweets. I mean, I can't remember who put them out, but it was like Cleveland had the worst net rating of a first round winner ever. Basically, <laughs> they just looked really bad. And I in my stats thread yesterday, um, I went through the top and bottom ten and a bunch of catch-alls for, for playoffs only. Mm-hmm. Braun is first in everything except for defensive plus-minus, where he's fourth. And then the bottom tens are just peppered with Cavs players. Um, <laughs> J.R. Smith was all over the bottom tens. Kevin Love, Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood. Uh, it was it was alarming. Like He's having to do it by himself in more ways than ever before. And then there was a really good NBA math tweet from Adam that was like, I, I wish I, could, I got to find it because it was truly insane what his TPA is through the playoffs. I'm sure you probably saw this too. It's but almost I, a, it's almost a hundred at this point, which is basically. I want to get the actual like exact wording. The, so the so while you're doing that, the thing that I'm makes me kind of comfortable picking the Cavaliers is that they have shot so bad on high quality looks through that first round matchup. Yeah, with like the it's got to get. They were better. They yeah. hit thirty four point one percent of their wide open threes in that series, which is eight point two percent less than they hit during the regular season. Yeah, that's probably not staying. That's not. I mean, Kevin Love's been bad. You have to expect that he'll get better. Having George Hill healthy could help a great deal. That starting lineup when you sub out Calderon, when you sub out Calderon and put in Hill, has been in very limited playing time a statistical fireball. And I also don't know that the Raptors are built to defend those Kevin Love at center, LeBron at the four lineups. OG Ananobi is a body you can throw on LeBron. Maybe we see them dabble with some Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka front court combinations. No one in the league essentially has an answer for LeBron. And the Raptors come closer than they ever have probably this year, not because they have that singular talent who can stop him. That's what they were kind of hoping they had in P.J. Tucker last year. But they do have a bunch of different looks they could throw at him. It would not shock me if they won the series or if they pushed it to seven. But they're just there's something, given how well LeBron James is playing and how rock bottom his supporting cast has been, it's kind of just like an era of the Cavs can't get any worse than they just were. Yeah. That that number that uh, Adam posted on NBA Math, he has ninety one point nine seven total points added, um, more than any other two players in the playoffs so far combined. <laughs> the number forty nine score during the regular season. So if you plug that in, just that is his absurd. seven games. That's that's the one that's craziest to me. Seven games against the Pacers would have been a top fifty player by TPA. Um, this regular season. It's just insane. And then the other one was better than Kawhi, Durant, Draymond, and or better than all but uh, Kawhi, KD, Draymond, and Steph from last year's playoffs. Can we... But the craziest one to me is that he... <laughs> that would have made him a top 50 player just those seven games can we the just, season. Can we just agree now that anti-LeBron takes are no longer opinions so much as they are just vendettas? <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> I got to defend myself here. Um, it depends on what kind of anti-LeBron take. If it's like anti-he's great or Kobe's better or he has no debate against Jordan, then yes. I, I think that I would agree with you. If it's anti-like-I-don't-care-for-the-flopping. Or, oh, or, you and uh, the damn flopping. <laughs> um, I have to... 
I have to disagree with you that way. But there are still some LeBron takes out there that I would I would wholly agree are just insane. I would think that we don't have many or any Kobe's better than LeBron people listening to this podcast. Right? Oh yeah, I don't There's no way. I hope we don't. They still exist though. I thought you were going to say that they're done. They're they're definitely out there. No, they creep up in my timeline every once in a while because someone quote tweets someone saying that or it's even as simple as like who's better? Like if LeBron retired now, Kobe or LeBron? That it's just it's not a debate anymore. It, I don't I don't no, know. He passed him up like 6 or 7 years ago. Right. It was probably Please. not even a if we're being honest, it probably wasn't even a debate when he left for Miami the first time around. If you I just No, probably not. So it that stuff is just mind-boggling to me. Is he uh I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. He's your number 1 all time, right? Yeah. I think it's 1A, 1B for me. There there are for the most part I think LeBron's number 1. There are times when I think I, I could go with Jordan. Um, but I think it's those two and, and a little bit of space before anybody else. I don't, to, yeah. I, I still think it's crazy when I hear people say stuff like, if he gets one more ring, then we can have the conversation that he might be as good as Jordan. Like that, that stuff is wild to me at this point. Eight NBA Finals appearances total <laughs> on en route or trying to get to. Uh, All in in a row, or or seven in a row, right? How many in a row? Seven. He's going for eight in a row, but he has eight eight total now. That's nuts. Yeah. And his this season was truly insane too. He's like this was his age thirty three season, right? Um, a decade and a half into his career, and he's still putting up career highs in certain numbers, like. uh, We'll never see anything like this again, you would think. And I'm sure we say that about a lot of different athletes over the course of our lives but um it's hard to imagine anyone doing what he's done it's it's truly crazy from like a greatness standpoint i i concur with you there and i also concur with your pick of cavaliers in six along with your pick of rockets in five grant and i both picked well grant picked the Pelicans Warriors series we previewed on the last podcast. He picked Pelican, uh, excuse me, Warriors in six, just because I picked Warriors in five. Where did you stand on that one? Well, I have the benefit of seeing Game One. Uh, Fair. I think I might say Warriors in four. That that Game One was like a humbling <laughs> experience for me, and I said this on Twitter. I've been trying to convince myself uh, for weeks now that Golden State will be in trouble because they won't have Curry for most of the playoffs. And they made, I mean, there was a gentleman sweep against San Antonio, but that, that series was never really close. And they just annihilated the Pelicans without Curry in game one. And that was, that was very eye-opening to me. If he's, if that he's hundred percent art in game one. Oh my gosh. I was just, I just thought, holy cow, this, this is, they're very much the powerhouse they were a couple of years ago or last year. Um, so that was eye-opening for me. And if, if Curry's 100% right, I don't see how the Pelicans uh, can win a game. I, I just, if everybody's clicking, plus you add maybe the greatest offensive player ever, it, it, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to hang, I don't think. And we've talked about this before. People said, well, what if Curry comes back and it's kind of the 2016 situation? We, and I don't have them up because we already talked about them in a previous podcast. His numbers when he came back, quote-unquote, too early, were really, really good. And if you give the Warriors those numbers on a team that has Kevin Durant, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) it's really hard. I don't know what I was thinking. I was was intoxicated by the on-off numbers with Kevin Durant without Stephen Curry. But they've just been... They've been ridiculous this season. Just to back up my claim, Curry is currently second all-time in career offensive box plus-minus. Do you know who's first? LeBron. Yep. So that adds to our earlier <laughs> discussion. The only player with a better offensive box plus-minus than, than Curry is LeBron. I think Curry can overtake him if he plays at this level for three or four more seasons and LeBron starts to have a regression, which who knows if that's ever going to happen at this point. 
LeBron's going to be 50 and still winning the Eastern Conference. <laughs> Somebody responded to me on Twitter a while back. I was talking about my little theory about the phases of LeBron's career, how he can go to like a Jokic high-post distributor role at some point and then oh, yeah. to like a spot-up yeah. shooter role at some point. And somebody said, <laughs> by the time he hits the spot-up shooter role, um, it'll be his son that'll be dishing him the assist. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Um, so I got Warriors and four in that one, and I'm missing uh, the Sixers-Celtics. Another I, eye-opening game. Holy cow. I'm, I'm not going to change my pick, and I don't know that I even put this on record beforehand, but I, I picked the Sixers and seven for the series. I don't I, – I don't. I have no words. I don't want to read too much into game one, and I think game two will be a better barometer for the series because the – the Sixers aren't going to shoot so poorly from three again. They were five of 26. You got a combined yeah. zero made three pointers from Sarich, Covington, Ilyasova. That's not ever going to happen again. It's just, yeah. it's not. Uh, the other thing I would think you would go away from the JJ Redick trying to defend Jason Tatum thing that Philly was <laughs> doing a lot during that game. I'm not. I don't believe that Terry Rozier is going to play like an All Star every night. He's been good for the Celtics, but 11 of 18 and seven of nine from deep is beyond untenable. The one constant I will say for the Celtics, and I'm glad this happened. I'm almost mad that it happened in the way it did. But Al Horford, I think, is just showing a lot of people like, "Wow, you're pretty stupid for not thinking I was a star before." I almost hate that he eclipsed the 20 point plateau in game one he had 26 points because he's been so good and even arguably better in other games where he hasn't scored close to as much but he's been an absolute beast in these playoffs and I don't think you can count I felt weird picking the Sixers in seven I almost wanted to say Sixers in five or six it felt like kind of this cop-out but they didn't have Kyrie or Hayward or Tice or Jalen Brown and they just rocked Philly yeah crazy um i wonder if anybody submitted their coach of the year vote and are now watching these playoffs and thinking man i should have gone with stevens i picked quinn snyder and um as of right i had you're still comfortable with it i'm comfortable with it but i'm just like i i mean i mean geez you know (laughs) he's unbelievable and you i um i just remembered i saw that tweet that you sent me the other day from Nate Silver, that said, if you're starting an NBA team and wanted to maximize your chance of winning a championship over the next five seasons, who would you rather have, Yanni Antetokounmpo or Brad Stevens? And that's that really is like a hard, uh, it's a hard question to answer, which is crazy, because you know my previous thinking is ten times out of ten you pick the star player, but it seems like Brad Stevens can just get really good basketball out of almost anyone. <laughs> I, I've said this a few times on the podcast, but you could throw five random dudes on the floor, and it seems like you'll be able to get at least good defense. Um, so that game was was super eye-opening to me, uh, like I said earlier. But I think I'm going to sort of rely on the, the gap in talent. Uh, and I, I still think that, Philly is, they're going to figure things out before game two. Like you said, that'll probably be a pretty good, or at least a better barometer of how the series will go than game one was. And uh, I'm going to take Philly in six on this one. I think they close wow. it out in Philadelphia. The, and in support of that, because I was tempted to pick the Sixers uh, more quickly than a seven-game series, there were points during the first round of the playoffs where the Celtics' offense just fell apart. In the, yeah. ha- in the half court specifically. And if you're going to have to deal with a hamstring injury to Jalen Brown, you know you're not going to have Irving or Hayward. Those problems are going to crop up again. And Philly's defense is good. They were one of the – they finished, what was it, fourth in regular season defensive rating. Joel Embiid is going to defend better. He was he was just thoroughly outplayed by uh, Al Horford in game one. So I, I do think they were third in defensive efficiency. I even said fourth. I undersold them. I 
I th- I think they'll be fine, and particularly just because I I don't know that you can count on all of these guys. We keep saying this, so maybe it sounds like an, we're idiots now, but you can't count. I don't think on an offense that needs to be headlined by Al Horford and then a bunch of youngsters. Terry Rozier's in his third year, so he has some experience. But Jalen Brown's a sophomore; he's kind of new to the semi-featured role. Jason Tatum's a rookie. I I just don't know that you can trust that that offense, particularly down the stretch of a of a closer game. They look good in blowouts when everything's flowing, but can they win these closer games against a really good opponent like Philadelphia? And if if any if nothing else, even if you think that the Celtics offense is going to be fine and that Horford's going to be a matchup problem uh, for Joel Embiid all series, the Sixers are just going to shoot better for the three. They did, the Celtics did a phenomenal job getting at them on the three-point line, trying to run them off the three-point line, but they're, they're going to shoot better from three. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the I feel like there's going to be a lot of overreaction to game 1. Is kind of what I'm saying. If they if they come out and steal game 2, there's going to be a lot of overreaction the other way. I, I just feel like they're so much more talented and we've talked about how they have the best lineup in the NBA and now they have a little bit of depth. Um it was just Boston was amazing, but a lot of it was just like you said it was kind of an off night for the Sixers. So to recap, I have Warriors in five, Sixers in seven, Cavaliers in six, and I'm going to stick with Houston in five. And I have Rockets in five, Warriors in four, uh, Cavs in six, and Sixers in six. We are running kind of short on time, so did you want to pick one team to do a postmortem on between OKC, Milwaukee, and Indiana and, and finish it there, and we can save the other two for the next pod? Um, let's do Milwaukee because was that tweet today or yesterday? There was one about Milwaukee and Coach Bud, right? Do you remember seeing that somewhere? Or am I making? I saw that the Bucks are going to interview. That's uh, what I'm thinking of. Budenholzer and that he sources had said that he was planning on like drawing up a presentation for both the Bucks and the Knicks when he was really when well he's in the market for a job now. He would be he would be an interesting fit. In Milwaukee, because I, I, I think I, I posed this to you because someone asked it on Twitter. I believe it was Matt Moore of Action Network asked, who is the coach you would pick right now to bring this current Buck squad to their peak? And the choice for me would be David Fizzle or Buddenholzer, and I, I would be even more inclined to go with Buddenholzer at this point just because of his defensive principles, and that's where the Bucks seem like they need work on the offensive end because there's not a lot of invention there. But his his teams have moved the ball in the past, so that could help. But their their defense is just so undisciplined. Their defense—that's a great word for it. Um, undisciplined. It's chaotic. It's frantic. Uh, it, it's not. It's inefficient. Um, and yeah, I think he would be awesome for that. What what he, he was able to do with those Horford, Millsap, Teague, Corver. Who am I missing? Carroll was he the fifth guy? I'm trying to think. Well, who am I missing from those Hawks teams? The 16 um, Hawks? Yeah, you were, you were right on. So, yeah, what he did with that group was was super impressive. And I think I think there's enough talent in Milwaukee. I know a lot of people towards the end of that Boston series were saying it's it, there's got to be a roster issue, too. And I think there's probably something to that. Their bench was certainly not very inspiring for most, if not all, of the season. But that the talent at the top on that team is still really, really impressive to me. And I, I think he could maximize it far more than, than the last two coaches we've seen there. Um, so I agree with you on the defense stuff. I think he would help offensively, too. The, the sort of egalitarian, everybody touches the ball, the ball is constantly moving type of offense. Um, players constantly moving. I think that's super important in today's NBA, too. You're, you're obviously going to want the ball in Giannis's hands a lot still. And I think Budenholzer is obviously smart enough to adjust to that. But if you've got him sort of handling more of a, a freewheeling, constant movement offense, I think it would make guys like Middleton better. I think it would make Jabari Parker better. Um, I just am, I keep coming back to that. That I feel like there's so much talent at the top of this team, and they could have been so so much better than they were this year. Um, I they were they were certainly the most disappointing team in the league to me this season. Yeah, I mean, if you look 
like if we get maybe this is oversimplifying it, but they have a top seven, top five star in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two, yep. I think you could say almost all stars in Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton, and their supporting cast. Middleton's playoff numbers were unbelievable. Oh by the way, oh my god, he was. I feel. I believe I ranked him. I ranked him too low in the playoff player rankings that Adam Frommel and I did for Bleacher Report, and we grappled with that for a lot, a long time. I put him as, I think, was a top 35 player entering this regular season, and I don't even feel a little bit bad about doing that now after his playoff performance. So you have those three guys. And then, yes, things can get a little tight when looking at the bench. Matthew Delavadova isn't, he's not someone who's really going to help move the needle in any way, but you have, just as a supporting cast, in a nutshell, Jabari Parker, Malcolm Brogdon, John Henson, Don Maker, yeah. who had a hell of a couple games in that first round, and then you have Tony Snell, who, first-round vanishing act notwithstanding, has been mostly good for you. I don't know that Joe Prunty used him properly for that latter stretch of the season either, and also in support of what you were saying about them being heavier at the top, of their 10 most used lineups in the regular season, nine of them were a net plus, not yeah. one of which had a net rating lower than 6.1. So there's and just... I was, I was going to point out that they were comfortably plus with Giannis and, and Middleton, so yeah, that's that's even better way of illustrating that. It does seem like, and Jabari Parker's restricted free agency is something we definitely have to talk about, but it does yeah. seem like they have a little bit of a parallel to those 2013-2014 Golden State Warriors, not when looking at their makeup, but in the sense that they have a ton of inbuilt talent right now. They just need the right coach that's going to unlock it in the best way possible to take them to that next level. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's an interesting comparison, um, that they, they just need that coach to sort of unleash their true potential and i think buddenholzer is an interesting one to be able to do that i he would bring i think one of the main things that steve kerr brought to the warriors was was ball and player movement and i think that that buddenholzer would bring that to the bucks and and like you said um maybe we should just talk about this now the really interesting thing for them this summer on top of the coaching search is what do you do with jabari parker i just said that um Anadokupo and Middleton were positive. They were better than five points per 100 possessions, better than their opponents when those two shared the floor. When Anadokupo and Parker shared the floor, uh, Milwaukee was outscored by more than six points <laughs> per 100 possessions. So that's that's quite a huge swing. I still feel like that should work. I, I really feel like a Parker and Anadokupo with the right coaching and the right system, if those two are at your four and five, that should be a deadly lineup. Um so I'm I'm very curious to see what they'll do. It seems like they'll probably match, especially with and I've I've said this with a bunch of different restricted free agents that are coming up this summer. There's just so little cap space out there. What team has cap space that's going to throw enough at Parker that it's that's it's going to make Milwaukee say no? We can't match that. I, I don't know that there is a situation in which they would do that at this point because their path to getting any flexibility while losing him is just it's brutal. Even when you yeah. even when you factor in the Toledovich situation and I believe that they did stretch his salary, so it's even until it comes off the books, it's only about three point five million it's gonna count against them. Giannis Attendekoop already said that he's not going anywhere. His if someone maxed him out they, they would be crazy to match. I don't think that's going to come in this summer's free agent market, though. That's the upside there. Um, I I don't even know. Do you think if it's his cap hold is about $20.3 million until he signs his next deal? I would think something a little bit more than that. If it's more than $22 million, they have to at least think about it. Think about letting him go? Yeah, right? I don't, I don't see who's going to give him that, though. That's the other thing, though. Who has cap space? We, I know we you've told me this a bunch of times, but I always need the reminder. Well, because there are like there are only nine teams. About it, it's like one third of the league is going to have real cap space this summer. I I have the list of teams right here. So the, the teams that are gonna they're just slated to have. I'm calling it noticeably more than the mid level exception right now, or have a very clear path to it. 
the, the Atlanta Hawks, Brooklyn Nets, Chicago Bulls, Dallas Mavericks, Indiana Pacers, Los Angeles Lakers, Philadelphia 76ers, Kings, and Utah Jazz. Of those nine teams, not many of them have a clear path to getting the money that it would take to make the the Bucks think twice. The Pacers, I yeah. would remove just because you don't need him, and they have to get rid of a bunch of their non-guarantees to get there. The Nets even have to do some jump through a bunch of hoops to get to let's say twenty two to twenty five million dollars in room. The Sixers don't need him, even though they can get no. to that fairly easily. The Kings have to jump through some hoops. We talked about the Jazz; they would have to go through a ton of collateral damage to have them. Yeah, I'm not them. as I'm not as high on that as we were the well, last. I'm time. glad to hear you've come to your senses. <laughs> so you're looking at the Hawks, the Bulls, the Mavericks. And I would say the Lakers, but I'm even hesitant to throw them in there because I think they would want to make a bigger splash than him. Yeah. The Bulls are interesting. Um, and Not I think Bulls a lot fans. of Bulls fans have like... I was going to say, they've jokingly said, I can't wait for Garpax to throw him the max. The Nets were interesting to me too before you said that they had to go through some hurdles to get there. But they just seem like they've been the spot for lottery reclamation projects the last couple of years. Um, obviously the Julia Loca four one didn't work out and the uh, jury is still out on D'Angelo Russell, but just in terms of like going to, to play for Kenny Atkinson and, and it's a young bunch. I feel like that makes some sense. Um, but I think, yeah, after you list that, 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 that all those teams, I still think there's probably nobody who's going to offer enough to make Milwaukee, let him go. Yeah, I just I don't see it happening, and you you sign him, and then hopefully you figure out the rest later because maybe you can trade him. It is a problem though. He had such a confusing first round series. He made some nice defensive plays. There was there was a sequence where he grabbed like it was a zillion offensive rebounds in, in one possession. Uh, he shot well at times. He didn't shoot well at times. He took really good shots at times. He took really bad shots at times. I the question even in the playoffs there the the Anadokounmpo Parker net rating was even worse than it was in the regular season. And the thing they have to figure out too is is he essentially just someone with their makeup or I mean I like you said maybe the coaching changes it but what if he's just this like crazy super sub and or what if he's not someone who's that close that was the next that was the next thought I was I was coming to my mind too. And is if, if they do bring him back would they even be able to start him? Or can can you close games with him? If his performance alongside Antetokounmpo has been that poor, obviously, I think a lot of it would depend on what he looks like with a new coach. But if you're just looking at past performance and, and evidence from the first few years, it, it is hard to make the argument that you can start or finish games with him. For me, I, it's, I think uh, crazy. I think that what's best for them is you hope because of the way the market is depressed that you get him on a reasonable deal or even something short-term, that you can then reroute in a half-season if things don't turn around. Yeah. It's almost, to me, I would sign him with the intention of eventually trading him because I I don't know that he fits in with this roster. And you have to think about how expensive they're about to get too, Andy. You have Brogdon, Middleton, player option, and Bledsoe are all going to be free agents in 2019. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting... And maybe by then they'll they'll know whether or not they should. I don't know if you can blow it up with Antetokounmpo on your roster, but maybe they'll have a better idea of what direction they could go or should go. But you're right. They were, to me, they were the most disappointing team in the NBA by far this season. Maybe it is just a matter of coaching. Again, that's that's the argument in bringing Parker back too or not trying to seek out a trade for some, because you could, they could probably do some interesting things on the trade market. You have salary matching fodder with Henson, Snell, and Delavadova, even though maybe those aren't the most desirable contracts. And then if you wanted to, you can bait teams with Bledsoe or, or Middleton. I wouldn't trade Middleton, but I'm just saying in theory that could be the overreaction. I think you just yeah. give yourself a chance with this nucleus and, and a fresh set of eyes and a fresh mind there and hope that that's how you get to the next level. Because and this was the thing that rattled me the most. Atenda Kupo said he thought the Bucks were the better team in that first-round series with the Celtics. You don't get to say that after you fall to a squad in seven games that only had Jalen Brown for 16 minutes in Game 7 and didn't have Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward. You don't get, you don't get to say that. <laughs> well, the mind of a player, I guess it's fine that he's, he's confident 
in his team. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I think they should at least see <clears throat> what this looks like with a uh, different coach at the head. I think that probably wraps us up for today. Like you said, we're only going to be able to get to one of these uh, eliminated teams and we'll save some of the others for blame Kawhi. future episodes <laughs> yeah blame Kawhi leonard who we have to update every other episode it seems um if you want to talk to us about any of the hot takes that we spewed today you can find dan on twitter at dan favale f-a-v-a-l-e i'm at andrew d bailey the show is at hardwood knox the sponsor is at nba underscore math and like dan said if you listen to your podcasts in some other form or fashion beyond apple uh, you can now find us on Google Play. Uh, so that's awesome. We'll be coming to Spotify soon, iHeartRadio soon. Uh, we're also on Blog Talk Radio. You can find us on NBA Math, Stitcher. So now I think we've we've got most bases covered. Um, we should be able to – we're available to you if you want to listen or if you want to tell people to listen. Um, leave us reviews and ratings at those various outlets – uh, tell your friends about the show. Tell your family about the show. Tell them to subscribe. Um, coerce them into subscribing. And uh, before we go, nbamass.com slash shop. If you enter the promo code Benno, B-E-N-O, you get 15% off anything there. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Benno Udry. And Kyle Anderson. Mirai is Japanese for the future, and in the future, your commute will be less expensive because now you can get a special lease on a Toyota Mirai. Powered by hydrogen, it emits only water, and Toyota will cover three years' worth of your fuel costs up to $15,000. You'll also get three years' no-cost schedule maintenance, HOV lane access, and may be eligible for a $5,000 state rebate. The future sounds pretty good, huh? Get your special lease on a Mirai today. See San Francisco Toyota or click the banner for details. Toyota, let's go places. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.